everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. This is Jen Hatmaker, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome today. So glad that you are here. So guys, we are in a series that I am absolutely loving. And I was literally just wishing it could be longer than it is. It's called For the Love of Good Change. For the love of good change. Um, And so we're kind of in the middle right now of all this, you know, new year, new you stuff swirling around us. And so I'm just wanting us to slow down and think about the changes we're making and about the people that we want to be. And if we are interested in changing um, our trajectory, I'd like us, myself included, to approach these um, ideas with mindfulness. Um, And not because we're at some arbitrary day when we're supposed to feel bad about ourselves and try to fix all the things. I actually don't like that approach at all. Um, Because the truth is you can change your life any day of the year, one small decision at a time. That's just real. Um, So in this series, I'm talking to people who are going to share how we can make small, ordinary changes that add up to pretty big results. And so you guys, you're going to love today's conversation. Um, I basically was leaning forward the entire time listening with all my might. Um, it's just, it's just packed. It's literally packed with amazing ideas and wisdom. And so, um, you're going to love this conversation with my next guest. First of all, she's so smart. Um, she's asked a lot of great questions that we've been watching over the years and challenged us to think about why we do the things we do and how we can turn the dials in little ways to become happier people. So you guys, Gretchen Rubin is a human nature investigator. Honestly, that's what she is. She explores all these habits that make us tick and how the choices we make affect our inner joy and that of the people around us. So you probably know that she's the author of several books, um, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, The Happiness Project. That's where I first met Gretchen happier at home, better than before, and most recently, The Four Tendencies. So she's got a weekly podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and she talks about good habits and happiness with her sister, who's TV writer Elizabeth Kraft. They've actually been called the click and clack of podcasters, which I just love. Um, So Gretchen was named to Fast Company's list of most creative people in business. Um, Also, small deal, she's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, And before she was a full-time writer, you guys, Gretchen was a lawyer who clerked for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. So, you know, she's doing okay. She's all right. She's all right. Um, Gretchen's a Kansas City native, turned New Yorker, uh, and she and her husband, Jamie, have two daughters. So today she and I talk about her biggest book, The Happiness Project, which you've no doubt seen. Um, It's been out for 10 years and is still so monumentally relevant Um, So we're going to explore some discoveries that she made in that book and some that she has made since what's changed in her life um, in the, in the preceding 10 years and what she's learning and thinking about now, you guys, she has so much wisdom to share with us. Just, I'm serious, like buckle in because you are going to love this entire hour. So without further ado, I'm so pleased to share my conversation with author and podcaster and all around great human being, Gretchen Rubin. Um, Gretchen, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I was just telling you before we started recording, I've admired your work for years, years and years and years, and you have helped shift our thinking. And you were just a really important and special voice, um, you know, when we when I found you 10 years ago. And your work is so approachable, but it has such profound impact. And so I want to thank you, first of all, for what you have put into the world. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. Oh, well, thanks so much for the kind words, and thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Absolutely. So I've told our listeners a little bit about you, and tons of us already know a lot about you. But um, um, since you've written so many wonderful books, you are so prolific. There's no, you have bottomless wisdom, apparently. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Please tell me your secrets. Um, I want to just jump into some of your best stuff. Tons of us, obviously read and loved The Happiness Project. Um, 
in my opinion, I believe that that book sort of shaped the way self-help books were written over the next decade. Um, because this is what I loved so much about it. You set out to change your life without changing your life. Like you, you made this intentional decision to avoid just blowing up all your categories, like pulling <laughs> up anchor, you know, moving to another country, starting from scratch. Um, and, and instead you, you took an approach like this is the life I'm living. What can I do right here um, where I am? And so I wonder if you could talk about this a little bit. A lot of people would say that happiness is, is just a part of a person's nature. They're kind of born that way, or it's a byproduct of privilege or just a good life that you happen to be born into. Um, how did you figure out that you had to work at being happy? Well, that's a great question. And, and you know, when I got sort of the idea to do the happiness project, when I even had that phrase in my mind for the first time, it was because I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? Hmm. And I thought, I want to be happy, but I don't spend any time thinking about happiness or how right. I could be happier. And I think in just sort of the crush of everyday life and managing our to-do lists and, you know, just keeping track of what's going on, it's easy to lose sight of kind of these transcendent matters mm. and not see the low-hanging fruit. I mean, I think for a lot of people, certainly for me, and I think this resonated with a lot of people, you didn't have to take a lot of time, energy, or money. You didn't have to move across the world. You didn't right. have to take a month even to do a silent meditation retreat or something. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity in just our daily lives. Um for little things that actually end up having maybe even a disproportionate boost. Mm. Um, and it is very attainable. And it is something that is within the reach of the ordinary person. And uh, it's funny that you say that about the book, because one of the big uh, objections that a lot of people, um, like people, just random people that I would talk to, and also mm -hmm. people in book publishing said about the book is there's no arc right uh -huh. you don't call, you don't go from a place of deep unhappiness to happiness you don't have mm. a transformative life change basically you're pretty happy when you started and your life isn't really any different after the year happens so like why does anybody care and i was like it felt like kind of a big leap to be like well i mm. think i can write a book that will make people interested in that um, so it was a huge relief to me. <laughs> yes, well done. It worked. I think it resonates with a lot of people because I think uh, my experience was a lot what a lot a lot of people think I am pretty happy. I do yeah. have the elements of a happy life, but that doesn't mean I can't be happier if I kind of up my game and I just need some ideas and to kind of to think about it, take a little bit of time to think about it and how I might go about it uh, to see where those opportunities might lie. Well, I can tell you that I am absolutely appreciate your approach. In fact, um, sometimes the opposite approach pushes me into paralysis where um, in order for me to be happy, I'm going to have to, well, obviously start a whole new career um, yes. and maybe get rid of these, all these kids I have, uh, start over <laughs> with a new better batch, you know, and it, it, everything feels so monumental and so much upheaval and so much turnover um, that not only is that not what I want, I feel like I can't handle it. That's just, um, this is why the sort of path that you laid in front of us felt like I can walk on this. These are, this is doable. This is manageable. This is real life stuff. Um, which is why your book is just such an international bestseller. So for, for listeners who haven't read it, can you give us just a brief overview of how you conducted your happiness project? Yeah, well, so I decided to spend a year because I figured year is long enough that like real change can happen, but it also it's it's bounded. It doesn't feel interminable, and, and yeah. kind of a year is one way we think about our lives. So I decided, okay, I have a year, twelve months. So I I did all this sort of thinking about the larger issue of happiness and some research, and you know, if you were going to try to make yourself happier, what what do ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists mm -hmm. and pop culture, what do they tell you to think about? And let me try it. And so, and I had to tailor it for me. Everyone's mm. happiness project would be different because some things that are really important to me wouldn't matter to somebody else and vice versa. Mm. So I identified 12 areas in my life where I thought, I think I could make myself happier in this area. And, uh, and, and so and then within each month, each month's theme, I gave myself a handful of concrete, manageable resolutions, things I could really monitor, things that were realistic mm -hmm. um, within that area. And so, for example, for January, I started with energy, vitality, because mm -hmm. I figured 
if I had more energy, everything else will be easier. Sure. Um, because a lot, a lot of times, like you, you're like, I know I would be happier if I sent out holiday cards, or if mm-hmm. I planned a party, or if I exercised, or if I cooked more, whatever. But you feel like, oh, I just can't deal with it. Right. It's like too many, too many emails, too many errands. I'm too tired. I just yep. want to sit on the couch and watch The Office reruns, which is my go-to. Um, totally. <laughs> the um, you know, so I thought, well, energy will just make the whole year easier. So I started with energy, gave myself some concrete, manageable resolutions within that. And so and then as the year went on, a lot of people say, like, well, did it c- accumulate? Hmm. Yes, because anything that I did that I felt actually was making me happier, then I just kept doing it. Hmm. Now, that might sound really overwhelming, but a lot of the things that I did, you know, they don't take any time, energy or money. It's really just making up your mind to do it. Totally. And so and they made me happier. And so um a lot of the things that I do, I, 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 I mean, many of the things that I, most of the things I do, I still do to this day. And of course, right. I've added thousands more because I've just, anytime I think of something, I'm like, ooh, yeah, so choose great. a signature color, yeah. Like, I got <laughs> yes. Color, you know, so throw that one into the mix. That's great. It, you just you saying that sentence made me smile. Um, let me ask you a philosophical question. Um, so essentially why do you even think this is important why is it important to be a happy person why why is this good work um you know some people say gosh we're not guaranteed happiness that is not a thing that we um get to have necessarily and so i i would just love to know why you think pursuing happiness from the get-go is a good way to spend our time and our energy and our effort well that's a really profound question. Um, and uh, I think that some people even worry that it's not uh, it's not right hmm. to want to be happier. Um, they might think, oh, look, I have all the elements of a happy life. If I'm not happy, if I want to be happier, I must be a spoiled brat. Mm. Like, what do I expect from the world? This is ridiculous. Yep. Or they think in a world so full of suffering, suffering. Yep. it's not morally appropriate to seek mm. to be happier. But here's the thing. I think... Why wouldn't you be as happy as you can be, given your nature and your circumstances? I'm mm. not saying everybody's going to get to 10 on the 1 to 10 scale. Mm-hmm. There's certainly times in our lives where it wouldn't be appropriate to be happy. We don't – your mom's dying in the hospital. Mm. You're not going to feel happy. But can you be as happy as you can be, given your circumstances? And the fact is, even on just kind of uh, like on a on what does it do for other people or like why does anybody else care – Happy people, well, first of all, happiness is like we catch emotions from other people. That's right. So happy people tend to make other people happier. So you're going to influence other people to be happier if you're mm. happier. Also, there's all sorts of research like happier people are – they are more altruistic. They give away more money. Right. They volunteer more time. They make better leaders and better team members. They have less burnout. They have healthier habits. Um they're more likely to give help when somebody needs help. Great. And you know, this makes sense because when we're happy, we have the emotional wherewithal to turn outward That's right. and to think about other people and the problems of the world. And when we're unhappy, we tend to get isolated and defensive and preoccupied with our own problems. And we just feel like we can't tackle anything mm. else. And so even if, if, you know, if it's selfish to want to be happy, you should be ha- happy even if only for selfless reasons, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, um, and I think that, uh, I mean, you mentioned early, like this kind of, is it hardwired? Mm-hmm. Well, research does suggest that about 50% of happiness is hardwired. And some people, some people are born Eeyores and some people are born Tiggers. And right. we all see that, you know, that from life. Um, but there's, a, but 10 to 20% is um, uh, life circumstances. So that's things like health, income, sure. occupation, marital status, that matters. But then the rest is all within our conscious, very much within uh, a reflection of our conscious thoughts and actions. So I think, you know, each of us has a place where we are, like maybe I'm four to seven, maybe you're seven to 10, uh, but we can take action to push ourselves up to the top of that range instead of letting ourselves drift down to the bottom. Mm. We're not going to change our inborn nature, but we can change our experience of our lives. And I'm like, why wouldn't you do that? That's right. It's That's more right. fun to be happy. It's more fun. And I really appreciate that sort of hardcore data on yeah. what it looks like when you are happy communally. I mean, it really yeah. is. It's good for your marriage. It's good for your family. Yes. It's good for your coworkers. It's good for your neighbors. You know, it, it may be an individual sort of internal work, but it certainly has communal um, results. I, one thing that I love about you, you have this incredible knack of asking very simple, but pointed questions that yield 
weirdly profound results, honestly. So like, for example, (laughs) when you're in the middle of a sticky situation, a question that you ask is, what is the problem? I actually love this because I, um, uh, my head is real swirly and I have a million thoughts at all times and I'm also emotional. So that question removes us from our big feelings for a second and forces us to pinpoint, okay, what is the actual problem here? I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that observation um, and give us an example or two of how useful it is. Well, it's so funny that you point that out because it sounds so obvious um, that it almost sounds like, why are we even talking about this? But it is very profound. It's one of these things where if you really take the time to identify the problem, a lot of times the solution is not where you think it is. And it also might be much simpler than you think it is. Um, So, uh, and one of my favorite examples is, um, so I started my career in law. So I have a lot of friends who are lawyers and a friend of mine was like, oh my gosh, I have to quit my job. I hate my job. I hate my life. She was a, you know, an associate in a big Washington DC law firm. She lived in Virginia. Like she was always like the, the horrible commute, the work. But when she really identified the problem, when she's like, really, what do I not like about Hmm. my life? It was her commute. She had a very long, arduous, boring, stressful commute. She had to drive in and out every day, and it was awful. Anybody who lives in Washington, D.C. knows the traffic is out of control, like it is in many cities. Yes. Then she discovered audiobooks. And she would get the most delicious, (laughs) captivating audiobook and listen to it in the car. And she said, it totally transformed my life. I would literally find myself sitting in the driveway to listen (laughs) for five more minutes before I left the car. And what happened was that she was like, it wasn't the job Mm. at all. It was just that the commute was overshadowing the day at both ends and just making her feel like, oh, my my life is terrible. But she fixed this. But when she really realized it was the commute... Well, then there's a very different kind of solution than I need to quit my job and start a new career. Mm. And what and rarely is it that dramatic sure. and that kind of like unexpected, but really identifying the problem can be. And also sometimes when you identify the problem, you see that you don't have to solve it in the way you think you'll okay. solve it. Um, cause it might be to- I, I, another person I know, cause you know, cause I wrote the book better than before. I was always asking people about their habits and why they had trouble sticking to their habits. Mm-hmm. And one of the good questions, what a good question to ask yourself about a habit is, was there ever a time in the past when you succeeded with this habit? Because mm. a lot of times there's clues about why something worked at one time that's not working for you now. So I was talking to a woman who was like, I really want to cook more. I know all the reasons why it's smart to cook more, but I really just hate to cook. So I was like, but has there, was there ever a time in your life when you did cook? And she mm. said, well, it's funny that you mention it because I haven't cooked in years, but back when I was... Uh, like just out of college, I had I lived in a group house with three other people, mm-hmm. and I cooked a lot then. And so I was like, well, was it this? Was it that? Was it the other thing? Well, it turned out that the problem for this woman was not cooking. Okay. She liked cooking. She hated food shopping. Oh, yeah. My husband is one of these people who loves to food shop. He, like, just food shops as a hobby. Like, okay. People just <laughs> stop. And one of her roommates was like that, liked to food shop, liked to go see what was there, liked to get vegetables, liked to do whatever. And this woman just hated the errand and kind of the crushing regularity of having to food shop. Well, finding a solution to food shopping is very different from finding a solution of hating to cook. Great point. And so, and then once you solve that, then the cooking follows. And so identify the problem. Don't just like have it be this whole thing. I hate all of it. Like, well, there's actually one specific pain point. Maybe there's another way to solve that. Mm. That is so useful for someone like me who's melodramatic. And I just, I, I tend to think, well, the whole, let's just yard sale the whole thing. That's just the whole, just throw it out. Let's just start from scratch. And that is so rarely the answer. It's almost always a small <laughs> dial. Just turn the dial, just a hair. Another one of your um, Gretchen commandments is... Um, act the way you want to feel. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Can we really fake it till we make it? Yes. And yes. it's funny and it, it sounds inauthentic. So you want to use this judiciously, okay. but there's a very well-established psychological phenomenon that um, we feel like we, we feel like we act because of the way we feel. So I'm angry and therefore I'm yelling and slamming doors. But in fact, in the brain, it's, it's more like the brain is like, wow, there's a lot of yelling and slamming doors going on around here. I guess I guess we're feeling really angry. Mm. And that 
So your your actions kind of inflame your emotions. And we can take advantage of this because if there's an emotion you don't want to feel, you act the way you wish you felt. So let's say I'm feeling very resentful uh, towards my in-laws. If I would think, I'm going to act very grateful to my in-laws. I'm very appreciative of my in-laws. I will actually start to get feelings of gratitude. If I'm mm-hmm. feeling, oh, gosh, I don't feel friendly. I'm feeling like a really reserved person today, but I'm just going to make myself act friendly. Mm-hmm. I will start to act friendly. If I'm feeling sluggish and low energy, if I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk faster, talk with a little bit more animation, move quicker, Uh, run up the stairs instead of dragging myself up the stairs, I will actually start to feel more energetic. And so you can take advantage of this by acting the way you wish you felt. That's so great. I, that is, it's just fundamentally true. Um, I can absolutely um, go off the rails because I'm acting like a crazy person. Uh, Whether or not I actually felt that way, I can convince myself that I do. Um, I I, I like this too. Uh, One of the things, and we talked about this a minute ago, that you have you observed in your project but just in your life also is that how our happiness really affects other people so it's this is not just a me myself scenario it really is um what it looks like in real life with the people that we live with um you do a really great job of outline outlining the cause and effect patterns that our mood has on others um and so i wonder if you could just like bring it down to uh, just sort of almost a personal level, where have you seen this to be true, like in your marriage? Um, mm. and, and how has your work to be a more considerate and agreeable person who is, you know, really working on happiness? How has that affected your relationship with your husband, Jamie? Um, I know that you love receiving gold stars. Are you getting more yeah. gold stars inside your marriage? Um, no. <laughs> Right. That's not the guy I married. <laughs> Wrong source for the star. Yeah, yeah, he's not the guy for the gold stars. But the fact is, so one of the things that's kind of a it's sort of a, a, a tension with happiness is the only person that we can change is ourselves. Yes. And it's so fun to think about, well, if Jamie gave me gold stars, I'd be happier. So mm-hmm. let me just work on Jamie. Right. It doesn't totally. work like that. You can't give homework, you can't give assignments, you can't make other people change. But what I did find is that when I change, a relationship changes. And when I change, the atmosphere in my household changes. So if I make effort, and I am, I'm short-tempered, I am crabby, Mm -hmm. I get flustered and overwhelmed, I, I have to have a lot of I like, I'm not flexible. Hmm. Um, And so it's easy to get me like worked up. And one of the things that I've worked on for years and years and years in every possible way I can think of is to deal with that and to be calmer and not react as much, take the time, it's so hard. Um, And what I find is that when I can be lighthearted, when I can make a joke of something instead of being snippy, if I can uh, take a minute and ask a calm question instead of an accusatory question, then that's what I get back. And, uh, and it's, so just the whole atmosphere changes. Mm. And um, I think that it's hard. I think sometimes I'm a bean counter. One of my personal commandments is no, um, no, no uh, don't keep score uh, mm. uh, because I'm a big scorekeeper. Sure. And it's hard for me sometimes to think, well, I'm doing all this. Why don't you do that? Um, of course. And it just it just doesn't work like that. And you can't say like, well, I'm going to be um, if I do this nice thing for you, mm-hmm. then I can expect you to do this nice thing for me. It doesn't work like that. Um, but you do feel different and you and other people behave differently. It's true. And I appreciate you saying this because none of this internal work should ever be mistaken for a really clever um, tool of control. Like, yes, if, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, like let's highlight that and underscore that. Yeah. Yes. Right. I mean yes. that's just human you're nature. Thinking, the minute that you're thinking I did this, you do that. Yeah. I'm going to give you a gift now, you have to give me a gift. I made reservations, so now you have to be happy that I that's made right. them. I'm going to work on this on myself mainly because right. I want you to be better. And yeah. so I'm told that if I'm better, you're going to fix yourself. Um, that is just such a recipe for disaster and disappointment, obviously. And so I appreciate you saying that, that probably it will have the effect of improving and elevating a lot of your relationships, but that cannot be, that cannot be the motivation um, or even the expectation. 
Yeah. No. And that I, I mean, I'm so glad you brought it up because I think that's I think that's a subtle point, um, but a very, very important point, because it's very easy to get into like not even realizing that you're doing it to be manipulative. But that's really at the core of it. Yeah. Um, and I I I have just felt this so many times myself. Um, just thinking that um, by behaving one way. Others will behave another way. One way that this comes up sometimes, um, and this sort of is related to the four tendencies, which is another book that I wrote. But sometimes people will do things or like for me doing things, I'll do things thinking that I would get a gold star for it. Hmm. But what I tell myself now to get around this kind of this kind of manipulation is to say, I'm doing this for myself. I'm not cleaning the kitchen, and it sounds more selfish instead of being generous, but it's actually better if you're a person who does kind of seek gold stars and is trying to kind of like nudge people to like reinforce you, is I think, I used to think, oh, I'll clean the kitchen because I know Jamie loves a clean kitchen and he'll be so delighted to walk in and see that I cleaned up all the mess. Or like, oh, we went to bed and everything was messy, but I'm going to clean it up so when he comes down, he'll see that it's all tidy. And then he wouldn't say anything and then I would feel very disappointed and kind of resentful, right? Because I did this nice thing and he's not not even noticing it, let alone appreciating it. So now I say, I do it for myself. Mm. I like to have a clean kitchen. I like to have a clean family room. I uh, I like to send out holiday cards. I don't do it thinking that Jamie will like it because maybe he doesn't even care. Right. But I like it. I like to send out holiday cards. So I don't think of it as being like – sometimes we talk in our family like good for the team. It's good mm. for the team. And I'm like it's more helpful for me to think about what what do I want because sometimes – because then you expect other people to behave That's in a certain right. way. And, and if the don't. team is happy and they're delighted and say thankful, say thank you, it's a bonus. Um, it's a bonus. But it's not at the core um, and of I the work. It, it, it changes the atmosphere altogether. Like if you have a reasonably tidy house, that's going to make everybody feel better. You're going to feel better. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to feel better, even if they're not saying that. It's true. Setting out holiday cards is a nice thing to do. It helps reinforce your bonds with other people. Everybody's going to benefit from that, whether or not they're like, thank you so much for yeah. finding, like updating the addresses throughout the that's years. Right. So that we send our holiday cards. We don't get 30 bounce backs. You know, that's um, so great. Hey guys, Jen breaking in to make a quick recommendation while we're on the topic of good change. So as a writer and creative myself, I know how easy it is to fall into like working in a vacuum when I'm trying to get a project done isn't the best way or time for me to, I don't know, expand my perspective or help me grow in my craft, which is why I love Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators, for creatives of any kind. So with more than 25,000 classes in design and business, writing, social media, photography, so much more. You can discover, honestly, endless ways to fuel your curiosity um, or your creativity or even the career you already have. So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a very awesome offer just for my listeners. You can get two months of Skillshare for free. Skillshare is offering the For the Love community two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for absolutely free. So to sign up, this is how all you have to do. Go to Skillshare.com slash For the Love. Okay, that's it. That's the link you need. Skillshare.com slash For the Love to start your free two months right now. This is a good investment in you, in your work, in your creativity, and in your dreams. So Skillshare.com slash For the Love. Okay, back to our show. Um, I want to get to the four tendencies in a second, but just one more question about the happiness project. It's been 10 years. Um, yeah. And I wonder, I wonder what you would say has been... Um, the biggest change that you've seen in your life. And I'm curious, are you happier? And, mm. uh, and you mentioned earlier that you've added just a thousand new things. So I would love to hear maybe some of your favorite additions mm. um, mm-hmm. to a lot of your um, wisdom and your approaches to life that you have since adopted. Well, it's interesting, like, am I happier? Because I do feel like there's a strong kind of genetic, like, I'm just kind of, I'm a pretty happy person. I'm not a melancholic person. I'm not an ebullient person. I'm just, I'm a pretty happy person. And I think, like, if I'm lying in bed 
waiting to fall asleep or I'm on the subway and I'm staring into space, I'm still my same Gretchen. So I feel like I have not fundamentally changed. But what has changed is that my experience of my life is so much better because I've just been so much more strategic and Mm. thoughtful about what makes me happy? Like what gives me joy and enthusiasm? How do I have more time for friends? How do I have less guilt? How do I behave myself better? Mm. Um, I just, my experience of my life is much richer and and happier and less filled with, you know, you can make yourself happier by adding more or like getting rid of things that are dragging right. you down. I spent a lot point. of time, especially at the beginning, getting rid of things that were dragging me down. And so and so both of those, I, I, I've, I've managed uh, a lot of those things. Now, in terms of the, the resolutions and the things that I've followed since, I think the most dramatic, kind of the most colorful change that I've made, and certainly the one that um, people find the weirdest or I guess okay. the most radical is I gave up. Uh, sugar and really all carbs. So I don't yeah. eat flour, starchy vegetables, wow. rice, sugar for sure. I and the that. motivation behind that was you weren't feeling good? No, you know, it's funny. I was feeling fine. I didn't even particularly want to lose weight. I read about and in my book, Better Than Before, I describe what happened to me because when it happened, I didn't understand it at all. Um, so the better than before uh, is describes the 21 strategies that people can use to make or break their habits. And one of the strategies, and it's a, an outlier strategy, is the strategy of the lightning bolt. And this okay. is the very rare thing that you ha- it just happens to you. You can't con- really control it. Okay. Where you get a new idea or a new piece of information, and it just dramatically changes your habits sure. overnight. You're like, I'm pregnant. Everything changes. Okay, whatever. right. Good example. And in mm-hmm. this, I read a book by Gary Topps called Why We Get Fat. And I read it because when I looked at it in the bookstore, I saw that it was all about insulin. And my sister, Elizabeth, who's my co-host on the Happier with Gretchen yep. Rubin podcast, if people listen to that, Elizabeth is a type 1 diabetic. And so oh, yeah. um, I think a lot – I thought a lot about insulin, but I wanted to understand it better because I didn't really, really truly understand it. So I was very mm-hmm. attracted to this book because I thought it looked like a very accessible book about the role of insulin in the body. Okay. And I read it and it just like – it just is like – you will be so much healthier in every mm. possible way if you keep your insulin as low as possible. And the way you do that is you don't eat carbs. And I was like, yeah. I'm convinced this is it. I also have a tremendous sweet tooth. Mm. And I realized that if I just didn't eat this stuff altogether, just took it off the table, mm-hmm. I would just free myself. Mm. All of this like now, later, two, three, sure. five, it's my birthday, blah, 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 blah. Right. So boring. So I just like overnight gave up carbs and I, wow. I, I eat nuts, I eat vegetables that have uh-huh. some carbs. So, um, but, and it's been hugely, uh, a huge happiness booster for me because I just feel so, I just love eating that way. It's mm. not for everyone. And I say everyone's happiness project is different. This would not sure. work for a lot of people. I'm not saying this is the answer for everyone. I'm just saying this is the answer for me. And when people mm. say things like, well, you just can't give up sugar. I'm like, yes, you can. I'm <laughs> yeah. not saying that you should. Maybe you don't want to. Few people do. Right. But you can't say it's impossible because a great it, can, it can be done. Um, so anyway, that's but that was a very dramatic change. Most of my totally. things are smaller. They're like, uh, you know, more more in the ordinary. Uh, what a lot of people would might think would be um, a fun, valuable thing to do. Much like more your attainable. signature color. What did you pick? Well, you know, I was debating and debating and debating, and uh, like uh-huh. we talked about it on the Happier podcast, and people, I was just, it got me obsessed with color because people <laughs> were so fired up about it. So I actually wrote this little book that I need to figure out what to do with called My Color Pilgrimage, which is all about my fascination okay. with color. But I finally figured that my co- my signature color is like the, the rainbow spectrum, which now we've gone from oh. seven to six, um, mm-hmm. which makes much more sense. I, the indigo thing always bugged me as a child. <laughs> um, but, you know, now it's a very common thing where they'll show they'll be like things in every co- like the colors of the rainbow or uh-huh. they'll be like I got a necklace that has a circle that's the colors or yeah. color swatches, anything that is showing the, re- the, the color, uh-huh. idea of color. And it turns out that's very popular right now. Uh, hmm. There's like all kinds of design elements that include that idea of like the the colors, the colors of the rainbow. That's fabulous. Yeah. So that's mine. Do you have a signature color? I would say if I had to pick a signature color, it would kind of be like bright grass green. Ooh, I, I love it, that color. When my eyes see it, I'm happy. In any context, in any scenario, I would paint a whole a room that color. I have. I would buy a car that color. It just feels cheery to me. That's um, second, very close second place is bright, sunshiny yellow. So you can kind mm. of see the way I skew. Very nice. um, so let's talk about the four tendencies for a second. Um, you say 
it's easier to succeed when you know what works for you. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to hear a little bit more about that book and in, in which you ask another one of those simple yet profound questions. And can you tell us what that is and how people are using the four tendencies to better understand how they interact with themselves and other people? Well, the question, I have to warn you, sounds very, very boring, but it ends up being really juicy and and important to understand. So the question is, how do you respond to expectations? And so if you think about it, we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, you know, expectations that come to us from the outside. So that's things like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then there are are our own inner expectations, you know, like I want to keep a New Year's resolution. I want to get back into practicing yoga. So those are Mm -hmm. expectations that I'm imposing on myself. And depending on how you, you, you respond to outer and inner expectations, the combination, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And I will mm. briefly describe these, but there is a okay. quiz on my site. If you go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com yep. or you just go to my site, gretchenrubin.com, there's a quiz. Like 1.7 million people have taken the quiz now. It's free. Wow. It's quick. But really, a lot of people don't even need to take the quiz. If I just describe this, mm-hmm. and if you were, they're, know. Like, oh, they're like, yeah, I know what I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So mm-hmm. they meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss, uh, they, wa- they know what's expected of them, and uh, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Okay. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their mm-hmm. standard, they'll do it. If it fails their standard, they'll push back. And typically they resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, mm-hmm. or unjustified. So they're saying, why should I? If I I think I should, I will. If I think I shouldn't, I won't. Mm -hmm. Then there are obligers. So obligers Mm -hmm. readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So, and I got my insight into this when a friend said to me, I know I would be happier if I exercised. And the weird thing is when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why Mm -hmm. can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she showed up. But she's just trying to go on her own. It's a struggle. Mm-hmm. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations outer okay. alike. They want to yeah. do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. Hmm. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And okay. typically, rebels don't like to tell themselves what to do. So they don't like to do things like, I'm going to sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday. Right. Because I don't know what I want to do on Saturday mm. morning, and I don't even like the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up. I see. Wow. that I see a little bit of myself in a couple of those. Mm. Um, and so in the book, you sort of unpack, okay, here's how to identify yourself. Yeah. Um, and maybe here are some good questions to ask of you If in, in each segment. Tell us a little bit more about it. You're right. Well, the first thing is is the size of them, because I think that's really interesting to think about. Obliger is the biggest tendency for both men and women. Mm -hmm. You either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. So it's really important to understand the obliger tendency. And then second to that is questioner. Rebel is a very small tendency, but it's a very conspicuous tendency. Like, mm, right. It's easy to. It's usually pretty easy to spot a rebel. But my tendency, a polder tendency, only slightly larger. Those are kind of the mm. extreme fringe personality types. But what? Why this is valuable is like, let's say you want to get yourself to exercise. There's all kinds of advice about what you should do. But if you don't know your tendency, you might just do this because your sister-in-law did it, or you do this because Steve Jobs did it, or you do this because you heard about it on a podcast. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. And if it's not working, you might start to feel lousy. You might start to say, I have no self-control. I have no willpower. Every, th- this strategy works great for other people. There's something wrong with me. I need to change. Like, what's my problem? But if you know the tendency, you can say to yourself, let me do the thing that I know works best for my tendency. Let mm-hmm. me really tailor my approach to take into account the experience of people in my tendency. Because if I'm experiencing a problem, Probably other people in my tendency also feel the same way. And there may be solutions. There might be Hmm. workarounds or hacks that other people of my tendencies have found that maybe I haven't thought of. So a really great um, example, and I'll I'll use obliger because um, they're the biggest tendency, is my friend who couldn't exercise, right? Mm -hmm. And, And sometimes the obligers will say things like, 
I can't make time for myself. I never make time for self-care. I always mm. make other people a priority. Or they say things like, I give 110% to my patients. I'm always at the hospital or with my patients. Right. I have nothing, you know, how could I possibly eat healthfully? Um, given the, given my demanding job, uh, I'm going from five remote places all the time. There's a, Clearly, there's no way to eat healthfully. Sure. Um, so if you're an obliger, here is the answer. And this is necessary for an obliger mm. to, 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 to follow a habit or meet an inner expectation. They have to have outer accountability. So if mm. you know you're an obliger and you're like, okay, I want to exercise more, it's like it's not a question of inner motivation. It's not about getting clear on what you want. It's, it's about outer accountability. And there's a million ways to create outer totally. accountability. Once you realize that that is what you need, other people don't, I don't need outer accountability. And so it saves me mm. time. I don't build in outer accountability. I now that I know I don't need it. But you need it. So if you want to exercise, so you could work out with a trainer. You could mm. take a class where you have to sign up. Even better, you take a class where you're, you're taking a spot. If you mm. sign up and you don't go, well, you've robbed somebody else of the opportunity to be in that CrossFit class. Um, you could uh, work out with a friend who will be super annoyed if you don't show up because your friend mm. doesn't like to work out alone. Uh, you could volunteer to do a charity run where your this charity is not going to make as much money if you don't follow through. You can think of your duty to your future self. Oh, right now Gretchen doesn't want to do it. But think about if I get mm. to the end of 2019 and I haven't made any progress, future Gretchen's going to be so upset. I can think of my, my, my duty to be a role model for other people. I want the people around me to see how important the good. high value of exercise and the way that I do that is I show them that I make time for exercise and I follow mm -hmm. through with it in my own life. These are simple solutions and there's a million other ones. But if you think, oh, what I really need to do is get more inner motivation, hmm. you're just going to struggle. But that's what a questioner would tell you. That is what questioners march around telling everybody. You just hmm. got to get clear on what you want and why it's right that's for you. True. And it just doesn't work for other people. That's so I'm good. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that. It's a good idea. It doesn't work. Hmm. Rebels don't care. Rebels do what they want. So for a rebel, if you're a rebel who wants to exercise, you think about you go you the what you think about is identity. Hmm. Rebels want to live up to their identity. I exercise because I'm an active, vital person. I hmm. love being outdoors. I love to bike. I love to ski. I love to run. They try to keep me trapped inside, but they can't. I see. I'm so active, or I'm an athlete. Yeah. I've always been, I've been an athlete since I was in third grade. Um, or you know, I'm a person who takes care of my body. Uh, I protect my body from, you know, the big food right. companies, big tobacco, and, you know, the, I don't, you know, I take care of my body because I want to be free and active, and I want to be able to charge up uh, a mountain when I'm 80 years old. So mm. that's why I take care of my body because that's the kind of person I am. That's my value. Or And also rebels love spontaneity, so they don't like to lock into a class. So a lot of times sure. a rebel will do something like join a big gym that has tons of classes all the time, and it's like, today I feel like CrossFit. Today mm. I feel like cardio today i feel like stretching it's like yeah do whatever you want whenever you want you could and that works for rebels but if people keep saying to them put it on your calendar make a commitment yeah. pay up front like it's like that doesn't work that just makes them feel like oh gosh i want to run the other direction your good really advice fascinating. could actually be driving somebody in the other direction I see what you're saying. And it's interesting to hear you talk through it because what it's making me consider right now, um, I'm doing going through sort of a mental Rolodex of mm -hmm. people that are in, in some form of leadership in my life. So I either follow them voluntarily or I, they're a mentor of sorts or they either know me or don't, well, whatever. I am following their lead in some way or another. And I'm thinking through some of the leaders that I have chosen and why they chronically frustrate me. Ah. And I, and, and I know what they're saying is not bad. They're not, uh, of course, everybody wants inner motivation. I wish that was the thing. But what the way that you're sort of splicing this out, I'm realizing they're just operating out of their own sort yeah. of preferences and strengths, but they're not mine. Yes. And so it makes me feel frustrated and I feel like I can't identify with that brand of motivation. And so maybe this also matters into who we are listening to and who we are taking counsel from and who we, um, who our chief sort of teachers and motivators are in our life, because they can either really send us into strength or really incredibly frustrate us. Um, and maybe this is a core reason. It's, this is really, that's interesting research. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one more question before we sort of wrap it up. Um, and you mentioned this a second ago. You have a truckload of resources on your website. You have quizzes and you have mini projects and e-courses and your amazing podcast. Um, 
I wonder what's next for you. I, I hear that you have a happiness project experience in the works and a new book um, called outer order, inner calm, which is like, sounds like a spa experience that I want for my brain. Uh Um, Can you talk about those two things? Yeah, the happiness project experience is something that people have been asking me for to create for years. Um, And I think part of it is that a lot of people do want accountability. They want structure. And so this is something, it's an online course that takes you through a year and it helps you identify themes and ideas um, to get you started and to get you thinking and to get you like tracking through it so that you're really coming up with the ideas and then following through. Because it's fun to come up with the ideas, but then some people, like it's hard for them to stay focused on it. And so this is a way to do it. And there's, there's interviews of people talking about different like major themes like you know major theme is like relationships like I think I don't think many people would do a happiness project that didn't include relationships um and uh and all kinds of resources to help people do it because because people really love doing their own happiness projects but some people want a little more structure um and then outer order inner calm yeah it's coming out March 5th this is a little book it's like a little easy quick book mm-hmm. you know when you read a book that gets you psyched up you're like i'm psyched up and you're like yes. happy and you jump up and you're getting ready to do something right it's a psych up book to clear clutter because oh, what i good. found from talking to people ever since the happiness project came out is that for so many people outer order contributes to inner calm 100%. and a sense of purpose and energy and focus and my hope is that people read about half of it and then they're like throw it over their shoulder and run toward their medicine cabinet so and like great. start tossing you know uh uh you know, uh, half empty, sure. sticky shampoo bottles in yes. the trash or whatever. So yeah. it's real. It's so real. Yeah. In fact, as you're saying it, I'm chuckling because I cleaned my office yesterday, cleaned it out. Like I threw things away. I put pictures up. I organized my bookshelves. I made piles and I was so tickled that right before you and I hopped on, um, this interview, I took several pictures of it yes. and sent it around to my people. Look at my oh. office, everybody. I, somebody give me a high five. Like yeah. I just, it's so amazing. The effect that has on my psyche. It's just bananas. I wish I had that book right now. It comes out March 5th. Yes. Um, well, I, um, I am getting a vicarious buzz just from thinking about that. I know that. Feels- <laughs> Um, okay, let's wrap this up. These are just questions we're asking everybody in this series. This is this, this series is called for the love of good change. Um, and so we're asking every single guest, these three quick rapid fires. Here's the first one. What is the best small change you've ever made in your life? The one minute rule, anything I can do in less than a minute, I do without delay. So if I can rip open a letter and toss it, or if I can put my coat on a hanger, I actually got, I mean, on a hook, I got hooks instead of hangers. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't even oh. use a hanger, but I can put my coat <laughs> on a hook. So now, so great. but now my coat is not on the floor where I used to keep it. Uh, so the one minute rule just gets rid of that, that, like that scummy <sighs> stuff on the, on the surface of life. Yeah. Um, so that's a little habit. doesn't take any time and really big payoff. Oh my gosh. As opposed to just, I'm going to set this aside and it's yes. going to hover over my shoulder for four days. Cause they're that inconsequential. So they're these yes. tiny, tiny things, but they start to really weigh you down. So, you know, it's very Gulliver, you know, all these little things are just tying you down yep. to the ground. Yeah. How about this? What's one, if you have one positive thing you do every day, just to feel good about yourself, about life. Mm. Uh, every morning, I wake up a little bit before my husband, and uh, the first thing I do is I give my husband a kiss. I don't. That's the first cute. thing I do before I, you know, get out of get out of bed or do anything. So I'm always like, that's the first. So I know, like, no day goes by where I don't give my husband a kiss. He's asleep that usually, so I don't think he knows, but I know. Um, and it's just a nice way to start the day. With a that kiss. is precious. Okay, here's the last one. We actually ask this question of every guest, every series, and it can be as big or small, as silly or as important as you want. We've literally got a gamut of answers. Um, and it's this. It's a, a, t- a question from an author that I love named Barbara Brown Taylor. And she says this, what's saving your life right now? Oh, mm-hmm. what's saving my life right now? Relationships. Mm-hmm. I have so many just wonderful relationships i feel so fortunate i'm like i'm working with this greatest people i'm like friends with the greatest people my family's all happy and healthy i'm like this is as good as it gets don't Mm. don't forget um yeah 
Yeah. I love that. I feel the exact same way. Um, I was just having that conversation last night with some of my best friends where we were just saying everything feels so good right now. Everybody that we love is near. Our life is full and rich. We're like, it's an embarrassment of riches and friendships and relationships. I could not agree more. Um, Thank you so much for coming on this show. I will have every single thing you've mentioned linked over on my website, listeners. So every book Gretchen has ever written, um, her website, all the places that you can find her on social media. Um, and so I am just, we're grateful for you. Thank you for leading us into joy and to happiness and to really like full and rich life and relationships. I think your work is so important uh, and I am a fan for life. Oh, well, you're so nice to say so. I so enjoyed talking to you. I feel like we could talk all day. We're interested in all the same things. So thank you so much for we could. giving Absolutely. me this opportunity. <laughs> Thanks, Gretchen. Bye-bye. She has it. Gosh. I mean, I'm telling you that in that conversation, I had some serious revelations, you guys, about um, several things, a couple of relationships I'm in, the way that I'm leading uh, and working inside my team. Uh, That was really powerful for me. So if you got anything out of it, well, then that's just a bonus. Um, Guys, everything, as I mentioned, will be over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. So um, Amanda will have everything we spoke about over there. If you just kind of want a one-stop shop for all things Gretchen Rubin, I really appreciated what she brings to the table here. Um, Just these small dials to turn that have profound, profound effect. So we have so much more coming to you in this series for the love of good change. Um, And I just, I'm pumped about it. These are some people that I have respected and admired for years who have led me well, mentored me from afar. I mean, this one is packed, you guys. Don't, you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Uh, we have such top-level guests in this entire series, and I'm just so excited about it. So um, thanks for joining. Thanks for being here with us in 2019. It's so great to have you here. We're so excited to start a new calendar year with our podcast community that we treasure, that we adore, that we work so hard for because we love you. Thank you for subscribing. Um, Do it. If you haven't already done it, go subscribe. Our little show will just show up right into your inbox every single week. You don't even have to remember to get it. And thank you for also rating and reviewing the show all the time. That has been so great for our little podcast. So anyway, you guys, um, you will want to be back next week for our next guest and for the love of good change. Um, And cannot wait to bring you that episode. Guys, have a fabulous week. See you next time. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.